One of the things that we're going to see in Paul's itinerary, we don't pick it up just in this passage because he's just giving his prayer request, but we're going to see through history, and we'll kind of tie that in together, is that even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, didn't get all of his prayers answered in the affirmative. Do we realize that? I think sometimes we think, you know, like, well, man, I'll pray, but man, if I can get the pastor to pray for me, then God, you know, he's got like the, the bat line into heaven. Like he's got that red phone into God and like the pastor will pray for me, then we'll get this thing done. Well, I'm sure people felt that way about Paul. Paul's got, I mean, he's got the red phone into heaven. In fact, it's in the Holy of Holies, you know, and God only lets his calls ring once, you know, and he's picking it up. What we're going to see this morning is that even the Apostle Paul, in his, in his heartfelt prayers, didn't always get his prayers answered in the affirmative. Now, that could have one of two reactions from you. That could encourage you or discourage you, but I hope it's an encouragement this morning. And you know, when we talk about prayer, it's just kind of an opening thought. Let me just ask you a question. Now, this is just between you and the Lord. We're not going to take a survey. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. When you pray and ask God for something, is your ultimate goal... God's best for you or God's best for somebody else that you're praying for? Or do you just want your way? You know, if you're anything like me and I'm being honest, most of the time, you know, tell a secret. I just want my way. I, I just want God to do what I'm asking him to do. Uh, you know, I would never tell God to do anything, but I expect him when I ask him to do something, he's going to do it for me. You know, and we need to shift our thinking because what we're going to see is uh, although God didn't answer Paul's prayer in the exact affirmative way that Paul was praying, God still answered the prayer. God still got done what he wanted to get done. Now, it, it didn't make Paul's itinerary. He wasn't looking at it and go, oh, man, I'm going to have a disruption here. That's okay. It didn't make his planned itinerary, but you know what? It made God's planned itinerary. There was an itinerary established by God that Paul was not yet aware of and that he was made aware of over time. So let's just jump in. Verse 28. And so remember, Paul is reminding them why he's going west before he's going to come see them in the east. Remember, Paul has never been to Rome. And so he says, therefore, when I've performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. And remember what he had just got through talking about is he was going to take a gift financial gift that was given by the Macedonian Achaia churches. He was going to deliver that to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay, and so he's explaining to the Romans, okay, this is why I'm not coming immediately. I've got to go here first, and then I'm coming to see you. And so he's just gone through explaining that. And he uses this phrase, have sealed. Therefore, when I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, and you know, the word seal uh, means to set fast with a seal signet. It was to um, it was to seal documents so that somebody else couldn't read it. It's got the idea of security and stability. And so he was taking this gift, guarding it with his life, so to speak, so that he might give it to these poor saints in Jerusalem. And you know, this gift wouldn't be fully sealed to them until he delivered it and it was safely received. And that's what he was looking to do. And so that's his goal. He wants to perform this work, sealed to them. But notice this really interesting phrase. He says, I've sealed to them this fruit. When I have sealed to them this fruit. And you know, one of the things that we've got to realize is that this delivery, the monetary gift that Paul was taking from these Gentile churches to the Jewish churches bore fruit. There's, there was actually fruit born to God just through this giving of a financial gift to poor saints in Jerusalem. And you know, it's one of those things that, that we just take for granted. You know, I, I don't know why. There's, there's usually an overemphasis on money in churches or an underemphasis on money. There's, a, there's like no middle ground. There's very rarely do we discuss this biblically. But you know that, that you can bear fruit to God, spiritual fruit. Fruit that you'll get credit for on the, on the day of the Bema Seat judgment of Christ through giving. Monetary giving. Sacrificial giving. Spirit-motivated giving. Now, that always seems a little self-serving coming from a pastor, and I realize that. I, I understand the irony there, right? Give more, God will bless you, and 
meanwhile, I'm driving a Mercedes, you know, and, and whatever. I mean, I, I, get the, I get the cultural concern there, but let's just, let's just skip past that and just trust me that my motives are not there. In fact, I've said this before. Let me say it again. If you're a visitor, I hope that you let the offering plate pass. If you don't like what, you, if you put something in and you don't like what you hear today, let me know on your way out and we will reimburse you your money. I am dead serious about that. And you know, if, if God can't supply through his saints for this church, then guess what's going to happen to this church? We're going to shut it down. That's what's going to happen. So, so we're in this, this is a faith proposition that we're walking through. We're, this, this church has never been founded on high, those of you who have gone here, you know Carl Green, you know Mark Wright, you know Bill Vessel. There's never been high pressure and there won't be high pressure because we're trusting the Lord for finances just the way you are. But you know what we want to see for your own spiritual good? We want to see you bear fruit to God in these areas. And check this out. This is really cool. Philippians 4.17, it says this, don't seek the gift. Now, Paul had received a gift from the Philippians. He says, don't seek the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. And in other words, Paul is not seeking their money but he knows that when they give out of a spirit-motivated sense of giving, they are going to bear fruit. Bear fruit where? Well, in all of Paul's labors. And so I love that concept because some of you, and I don't even know who you are in general because I don't get into the details of the finances of the church, but I know this. I know that there's some of you who have given sacrificially to my ministry in Liberia, DM2's ministry in Liberia. And you know what? I rejoice with you because there's gonna be fruit born to your account someday, and you've never even been there. Can you imagine showing up to heaven and a Liberian tracking you down to say thank you so much for your ministry in Liberia? When you gave, this is what happened to me. And you're gonna say, what are you talking about? I've never even been to Liberia. Well, you know when you gave that money? You sent materials on that way. You sent Bible teachers to teach us the word of God. And then that Bible teacher trained this Bible teacher and he shared the gospel with me. And I owe my presence in heaven because of your sacrificial giving because somebody shared the gospel with me. Can you imagine the joy that's, that's gonna give you on some day? So it's not about, hey, give us the money or we're gonna, you know, God's gonna kill me or give us the money or we're not gonna have to. No, it's not pressuring that, that it's encouraging to say, hey, you're gonna bear fruit. And this is what Paul is talking about here and, and what we know from this account, we mentioned it last week, this is two-way fruit bearing, Right? Because how did the Gentile believe, how did the Gentile churches even hear the gospel? Well, because Jewish churches sent out Jewish missionaries with Jewish money to, to buy into that mission field. And so the very reason that they're saved is because of the Jewish church, the originating Jewish missionaries, that Jewish money coming out of Judea, sending out, buying into the Great Commission. And that's why they're saved in this day. And that's why there was a church in Rome. And so Paul is saying, Hey, to these Macedonian churches, hey, you have benefited from the Jewish uh, spiritual blessings. Now bless them materially. Remember, that's what we talked about last week. And so this was Paul saying that he was confident that this uh, material gift was going to bear fruit. And again, remember, one of the things he's doing is he's explaining to them why he can't come to Rome right away. This is important enough that I've got to deliver this with my hands, then I'll be there. And then we see from the verse that once he was done delivering this gift, he was heading back to Spain. He was going to stop off in Rome and then go on to his ministry in Spain. In fact, he wanted them, verse 24 said, to help him on his way. Remember, which means to, to really come alongside of. And so he probably was going to invest and take some Roman believers with him. But look at verse 29. He says, but I know that when I do come, when I eventually get there, when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so when Paul finally makes it to the Roman church, after all these years, remember he stressed last week, he wanted to be there. He's been looking forward to being there for many years. That's what he was looking forward to. But he knows that when he does finally get there, it's going to be according to God's will. It's going to be according to God's timing and to be according to God's blessing. And then not only that, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it would be him having an opportunity to continue to fill, fulfill his calling, his blessing amongst Gentile believers. And so that's what he's talking about here when we talk about this, this fullness, this, it's a filling up to overflowing. Now, one of the things that we know is that although Paul was going to enjoy this trip, he was actually looking forward to it. Um, he felt like his trip to Rome was going to be in the will of the Lord. And so he, as he understood it at this point, he thought he was just going to drop the gift, come to Rome, 
move on to Spain. We know that it doesn't work out that way for him in his life. But he, but he feels like he can get there and full, pour out full blessing, not only in the Roman church benefiting from his gifting, but also going on to places like Spain where they had not heard the gospel. Now, history tells us, unfortunately, that Paul did not arrive as he, as he expected. That we know that from the book of Acts. However, he did arrive in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And, and how do we know that? Well, we're all benefactors of this fateful prison term. You remember the story? We won't take time to read it because it's like seven chapters in the book of Acts. But he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes to deliver this gift. He slides into the temple. A mob raises in the temple. They're dragging him and beating him nigh de- near to death. I mean, that's what the text says. A Roman uh, garrison has to pull him out of there to protect him from these Jewish unbelievers in the temple. And then they don't know what to do with the guy. Like he, he's just upsetting and starting off this riot. And so they take him and then 40 men say, we're going to take a, a vow. We're not going to eat or drink until we've killed the apostle Paul. Apostle Paul becomes aware of this plot against his life. And so the Romans shift him by night under, under cover of darkness and through a guard down the road to Caesarea. And he spends two years in Caesarea in prison awaiting his day of trial. And once he feels like it's going a little bit sideways on him, he appeals to Caesar. And guess what? He's off to Rome. And you think, oh, well, that's good, man. He just catches a train to Rome. They hop him off, you know, air conditioned. But no, he's got to go by ship. He gets shipwrecked. I mean, he almost loses his life. He gets, I mean, all the way, gets bit by a snake. I mean, you guys know the story, right? All the way through there, he finally gets to Rome. And then how long does he spend in Rome? This history tell us two years, two years in prison in a, in a rented house, a, a house prison. Um, and we'll learn more about that. But this was not what he envisioned. Let's just put it that way. It was drop the gift, go to Rome, hang out, visit the town, visit with different believers. And then when he was ready to go, he's going off to Spain. That was what he envisioned. But even four years after this date, he still was not a free man. So it wasn't how he envisioned, but we're going to see that he, um, he came still in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ. What's one way that we know? Well, guess what? This is where, when he arrived in Rome, this is where he wrote the prison epistles. In your Bibles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, if we didn't have this Roman imprisonment, I don't know if he would have written these epistles or not. So we, we gain the benefit of that. And has anyone been blessed ever by... Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or Philemon. I mean, I have. I mean, that, that's a full blessing, that package that he put together while in prison. And now we're going to see that he's going to ask um, a question. In fact, the way he says it is really intense and personal. He says, now I beg you, this is verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And one of the things he says is, I beg you, it's, it's the Greek word para, kaleo, I, I come alongside of you and call out. It's kind of the idea. We, a lot of the, the times you see this in the scriptures, it's translated encourage. And, and so the idea is, it's like, I'm begging you to encourage me. I'm begging you. It's a personal, passionate plea to stand next to him. And have you ever been in a situation in life where you're going through something and you just, you just need someone to be there for you? You just need someone to be standing next to you. you you're, you're getting ready to face something and you just need to know that you've got support. I mean, I think we've all been somewhere like that in life. And it's been, those are typically the, the times that, that true friends rise to the top. And you know, like, who's, who's really with you and who's supportive. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's great to, to have that. But one of the things that he says, and, and by the way, look at verse 30, because I just want to, I want to put your, your mind at ease. I don't want to make you think we're skipping some phrases, but I am going to jump over two phrases, but they're very key. We'll come back to them at the end. The, he says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. We'll come back and get those. So don't think I'm just like skipping over them. I know some were worried. Just kidding. Okay. Um, but he begs them, ultimately the request is this, come alongside of me and strive together with me. And so the word strive together, it's an interesting word in the Greek. It's a compound word and it's comprised of these two words, um, soon, which means together or with, and then agonizomai. Does that look like 
any word in the English language that you can picture. It's like agony, right? That's kind of the idea. So it, it means to strive. It means to contend for victory. Uh, it was used to describe competing in the public games, in the athletic games. It was used of wrestlers. It was used of strenuous effort, right? That's kind of the idea. And it's, it, it's strive in a strenuous way with me. Come alongside of me and strive together with me. And so this is Paul's most serious appeal for prayer that we have recorded in all the New Testament right here. This, this word has got some, some passion to it, some, some, some energy, some like, you know, passionate pleading is coming through here. And, you know, it, it described, um, interestingly enough, where, where Paul is writing from. He's writing from the city of Corinth. And in those days, Corinth was the home of the famous, what they called the Ithmian Games. And it was, the, it was like the Olympics. It was, the Olympics were going on as well, but so were these games in Corinth. And they were uh, uh, very much at the same level in terms of competition. And so he's in Corinth. Probably if we do the timing right, we look back in history, he was probably there during these games at, at some point in his 18-month stay in Corinth. And so he uses this athletic metaphor to describe the ministry of intercessory prayer. And, you know, I remember as a middle school student, um, anyone, anyone go to public school? Remember PE? Like PE is kind of, PE was cool when you got to do things that were fun. But there were some really lame things that you would do in PE. And, and, and like one of the lame things that we would do is they'd always do like a, a physical fitness test. And so they would say, okay, do as many push-ups as you can in a minute. Do as many sit-ups as you can in a minute. And, all this. and, and really, you figured out after you've been in middle school for a couple of years, okay, they're going to grade me on how much I improve, right? And so the deceitful little scheming little middle school student I was, I was like, well, I'm not going to try very hard at the beginning. And then I'm going to really bang it out at the end so I can get an A in this course and show them. Because I'm not going to push it right away because then if I don't improve, I don't want to get a bad grade. And so you start to manipulate. But I remember one time in middle school PE, it was the worst two weeks in PE of my entire life. And you know what they made us do? Wrestle. Wrestle. And I thought, man, that'll be fun. Like, I like to, I like to, I'm like, you know, I was an athlete. I like to do sports. I, you know, I'd wrestle with my brother at home and just kind of had fun over the years doing that. But I'm telling you, you get into a match with a, with a mat with somebody else that's trying to do to you what you're trying to do to them. Not in a biblical way, you know, like, it's like, like slamming people down, right? And, and I'm telling you, within 30 seconds, I was gassed. I was out of breath. And, and I love this image that he gives because it was really many times used of wrestling. And if any of you have ever wrestled or ever had that, that same PE class that I had, um, you know what that felt like. You know what it, you felt like getting pushed to the, the extreme of your ability to breathe and, and, and function as a human being. Your body just starts shutting down. And this is the type of passion by which Paul talks about praying. This is, this is where he's at, okay? So we'll, we'll talk more about why that's the case. But you know, when you look at Scripture, we've got to understand that prayer in general is a battle. And, and I don't mean that as like trying to pump you up in the flesh and start getting you all cranked up. And, you know, I'm talking about a spirit-motivated, spirit-responded-to desire to pray and depend on the Lord. And, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the couple of reasons I think prayer is a battle, let's just kind of take a quick sidebar from the, from the verse for a second. Why is prayer a battle? Why does Paul even describe it this way? Well, I think number one, we are typically too distracted by activities or things that need to get done. You know, that, that's typically what gets in the way for a lot of us. One thing that gets in the way for a lot of us, we don't have time to pray. I got to get this done. I, I don't have time to pray. I got a deadline. I don't, I don't have one more minute of my day. I don't have time to pray. I got, I got this, 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 and this. This is my itinerary. This is what I got to get done. I don't have time to pray. And, and you know, many of us would never verbalize that because it sounds really bad, like coming out. <laughs> but, we, but we think that way. We think that way. And, and, and much of how we think then therefore dictates how we respond. And so I think Paul is saying, guys, prayer's a battle. And if you're not viewing it, that way, it's going to be real easy to push off the shelf. It's going to be real easy to push off for a tomorrow. I'm going to start my, my solid prayer life. I'm going to do that tomorrow. 
You know? And I think if we went around the room and said, hey, you know, how's your prayer life? How do you feel about your prayer life? I, I would venture to say, you know, the high percentage of us would say, not as good as it should be, right? I go through entire days without even talking to the Lord. Entire days. It, sometimes I, I stack a couple days on top of each other without even talking to the Lord. And so, so he says, guys, this is important. You're in a battle, whether you realize it or not, view it that way. I think the a second reason we get distracted, and let's just call it what it is. We are independent. We, we do not want to depend on the Lord. Prayer, cast our care on the Lord. We have to depend on him. And as long as we have calculated that we have the right amount of resources to get something solved, we will never look to the Lord. And you think about the times when you have been the most intensely occupied with prayer. It's typically when you have no resources. You can't figure it out on your own. It's way bigger than you. You've got no solutions. But let me clue you in on something. That's how it always is. Not just when you realize it. That is how it always is. So when you wake up, our default mode should be, I don't have the resources capable to meet today, but God does. The Lord Jesus Christ does. I want to take advantage of those resources by walking by means of the Spirit. I don't even know what I don't know that I don't need, that I think I have under control. I don't even know. But we can be persuaded and convinced that whatever it is, I don't want to live life independent. Living life independently gets me in big trouble in every relationship I have, in every situation I'm in. Because sin produces what? Death. Sin produces death. Every time I present myself to the sin nature, every time I'm dependent on myself, every time I just rely on myself to solve all my problems, look out, stay away from me, because I might not get struck by lightning, but there's going to be collateral damage in every relationship that I own. That's the point. And we have a problem, and we need to be reminded that this is important. And then I mentioned this in the intro. Do you know that if we are honest with ourselves, more often than not than when we pray, we don't want God's will. We just want him to do what we're asking him to do. It, you know, and, and, and I hate to say it, but it's like, you know, Aladdin's in the movie theater, right? So it's an appropriate, it, this is genie in the bottle theology. I got a God. And you know, if I just, if I just ask him and rub him, the right way, manipulate, maybe use certain words, and I think I can just manipulate God, well, then he's got to give me what I think he should give me. He, he's got to give me what I want. And so many times we approach prayer this way. And so, again, we, we don't pray because we really want God to act. We don't pray because we're really dependent on his outcome. We pray because we want our outcome. That's the only reason, reason we pray. Okay, let's get the genie off the shelf. Let, let's rub him down. Let's get him out here so he can answer this request. And then he can go back on the shelf because I got it from here, right? And that's, again, it sounds so crude coming out, but I just want to point out that many times that is what's in our thinking. We may not verbalize it that way, but that's how we live. And so it's just important to understand that Paul says, guys, wrestle with me. (laughs) Get out of breath with me. See the value of prayer, see the value of depending on the Lord. And I think that Paul knew some turbulence was coming. I think Paul had a sense that something bad was going to happen. Now, think about this. The last time or the times that Paul had been in Jerusalem, remember the time where, where Paul was, had just recently been saved. He was on his way to Damascus. He, he gains his sight. You know, Ananias comes and lays hands on him. He gains his sight. He goes to preach the gospel. Remember how that turned out for him? He, he had to be let down through a basket at night on the other side of the wall to, to get out of town alive, right? So he's got the, he knows what's going on in Jerusalem. He knows the passion behind which they persecute people who are walking or trying to preach this gospel. And so I think he had an upcoming, or he had a sense that this upcoming trip was going to be difficult. In fact, uh, we'll cover it here in a second, but look down to verse one. His first prayer request is that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. That was one of his passionate prayer requests. Can I be delivered from them? I know they're coming after me. Um, And so he knew he was going to be in trouble. And I want to take a quick walk um, through Acts. So go with me to Acts chapter 20. Now, Acts chapter 20 uh, records 
Um, yeah, Acts chapter 20 records um, some events that happened after Paul wrote this to the Romans, okay? But it gives us insight on his trip to Jerusalem. I'll point out a couple of things. Acts chapter 20, he calls for the Ephesian elders, and notice what he says to them in verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He's talking about, I'm going to Jerusalem, but you guys are probably never going to see me again. And then he says in verse 38, jump down to Acts 20, 38. Sorrow, and this is, uh, actually jump back up to verse 7, 37. Then they all wept freely, speaking of the Ephesian elders, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Imagine speaking to somebody that you love. Imagine speaking to a mentor. And imagine them telling you, you know what, this is probably the last time I'm ever going to see you because I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going down there, but I got, I got a bad feeling. Something, something bad is about to happen. And, and he says this, and you can see their emotional response. Then look at this. So that's Paul's kind of sense of what's going on. But then look at the confirmation in Acts 21, as we just jumped down, verse 3. This is after he left the Ephesian elders in Miletus. Uh, he, verse 3, he says, when he had cited, when we had cited Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we we departed and went on our way. And they accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When he had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Now these disciples told Paul what? Don't go to Jerusalem, man. And did they do it? Out of a sense of selfishness? Well, according to the text, they did it via the means of the Spirit. The Spirit of God was instructing Paul through these disciples. Now jump down to even further. You'd think Paul, okay, he's got this sense that something's going to go wrong. Now disciples are telling him not to go. And it, it just keeps getting worse. Go, to, go down to verse 10 of Acts 21. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt bound his own hands and feet and said this, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from the place pleaded with him, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, so when he would not be persuaded we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. You see, and Paul's prayer request here preceded all of these meetings. He knew he was about to get into something. He may not have known what, but he knew he needed the Lord to, to intervene. He, he faced these prophetic warnings and yet he still, go, he still went on. And notice Paul's response. If my life is just about preserving my life, then I can't fulfill my calling. So, so my calling comes first, then my safety comes second. Now, I, and I know, and that is really high and mighty platitude to say from a pulpit in America, right? But we, you know, we have brothers and sisters all around this world, brothers and sisters in Christ who face this type of choice and decision every single day of their life. And it just, it, it just drives us to remind that, that prayer is not something optional for them. <laughs> they... They see it as a necessity. They see it as their lifeblood. They, they see it as the way they connect with the Lord and depend upon him. And so um, all of these things are just being pointed out to see why Paul is so serious about asking for their prayers. In fact, this is where we're going to come back in verse 30. Let's go back to Romans 15 if you're not there. In verse 30, because Paul's not just saying, hey, guys, go through the motions, like, hey, bang it in your prayer time. Hey, read it off of a prayer list in a sense. He's saying that there's a certain quality of prayer that he wants them to pray for him. And here it is, through the Lord Jesus, through the love of the Spirit. And see, Paul knew that, that prayer ultimately is a spiritual activity that needs to utilize divine resources. And you know that when people pray by means of the Spirit and through the love of the Spirit and through Jesus Christ, 
You know what people are going to want more than anything? God's will. If I'm a Roman believer, and Paul writes this to me, you know, immediately, if, I, if I'm going to whip into prayer, you know immediately what I'm going to pray for? Lord, don't let anything bad happen to him. We need him. Lord, bring him here quickly. We need him. We, we, would, we would pray how we would normally feel, but you know what we're going to see is that God's will for Paul was much different than, than just whipping up prayers for safety. And we're going to see that although God didn't answer Paul's request exactly probably what, how he intended those to be answered, God still answered his prayers. And we'll kind of look at that as we flow through here. Many of our prayers, although offered with all sincerity, are not in line with God's will. Do you believe that? We, we talked about that back in Romans 8. That was a few, uh, a few weeks ago. But Romans 8.26 says this, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. It, it's not when we don't know, but we don't know. It's not if we don't know, but, but clearly he's making a statement, we don't know how to pray. Remember the whole context there in Romans 8 is how do you respond to trials? And, and clearly we don't pray according to God's will according to, in trials, typically. In fact, what are our prayers during trials? We say this often. My prayer is, Remove this trial as quickly as possible. Get me out of this. That's typically how we pray with trials. Get it off of me. And yet, what does the Lord want to teach us in trials? It's, it's the word patience, which you, you break it down in the Greek. It's to remain under. There's, there's value in remaining under. Now, I'm not saying you, you're just going to enjoy pain and say, yeah, Lord, give me more pain. Give me more trials. It's not like we're praying for trials. But when God allows one, it's, hey, Lord, I want to stay under this as long as you think I can get benefit from this. Because ultimately, Lord, what I want is not a clean, clear life of an easy path. I want a relationship with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want a closer walk with you. If this is what it takes, keep me under. It's good because when I'm under and with you, I got something. I got a nice equation fitting together there. But when I'm out of and I'm not with you, that's a bad equation, even though my life has cleared up from the trials. And so it, it's, it's that reminder that many times, and I think this is why Paul qualifies this, hey, join me in prayer, wrestle with me, but do it through the Lord Jesus Christ and do it through the love of the Spirit. Pray God's will. Don't, don't just pray for, um, don't just pray for a, a certain easy path. We just want God's will in this. And you know, effective and effectual prayer, if we're being honest, is only offered to the Lord as we walk by means of the Spirit. That's the only time it's effective and effectual. And so one of the things that we're going to see is that God has ways of accomplishing his goals, but it doesn't have to be according to our dictates, right? We think, we think, in fact, we just look at this trip to Rome that Paul's planning. We think, man, this is what needs to happen. I mean, Paul needs to get there. He needs to get in the house that's going to provide for all his needs. He needs to have transportation so he can get around to every believer in the city and build them up and encourage them and teach them the word of God. Pick them up with where they're lacking. And Paul needs, he's going to need freedom of movement to do that. And so we need to figure out how to get him all set up. And then once he's done that, he needs to take the top two or three superstars in the Roman church and he needs to take them with him to Spain. And we need to provide transportation. And we just go, we just start planning and planning and planning. We say, that's the best way. That's, it's got to happen that way. And what if you would have told the Roman believers, well, you know what? You're going to pray this way, but God is going to bring Paul to Rome on a ship. He's going to be under house arrest. He's not even going to be able to leave. We'd say, man, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's not the best plan. But I want to show you why that's the best plan. And so we're going to continue in verse 31 and start looking at his prayer request because the first prayer request is this. Verse 31, let's read it. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And here's his first prayer request, that he would be delivered from those in Judea. Delivered means simply to draw or drag or snatch from danger. Now, it's it's a really interesting word because um, his prayer specifically would he would be delivered from harm's way from unbelievers in Judea. He's probably talking about, he's probably got in mind, uh, unbelieving Jews there. And how would Paul know how rough and aggressive unbelieving Jews were in Judea? Well, he used to be the ringleader of that group. He was the man 
that used to do what he was now fearful of happening to him. And as it related specifically to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were unreasonable. They would close their ears. They would gnash their teeth. They would, they would stone them and then ask questions later kind of, you know, deal. And so he knew what he was diving into. But you know what? Depending upon how you look at this prayer request, God did and did not answer this prayer request in the affirmative. And that's really interesting when you consider it because one of the ways he did not answer it is when Paul went to Jerusalem, you can read about this in Acts 21, verse 26 and following, he was bound, beaten, and arrested in the temple. That doesn't sound like deliverance to me, right? And you think, I want to be delivered from these people, but I'm, I'm getting pummeled. Uh, in the temple here. So he said, wow, that doesn't sound like an answer uh, to that prayer request. And then we see, I mentioned earlier, these 40 Jewish men, unbelievers, Jewish unbelievers, took an oath. They neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Um, and then they devised a plot to be able to gain access to him to kill him. They're trying to draw him out of prison, get him on the road with less than uh, able guards, take him, take him over and kill him. That's what the plan was. That doesn't sound like deliverance to me. That sounds like he is being set up to be taken, taken and killed and tortured. But you know, when we look at the way God did answer it, let's take this into consideration. You know, when he was getting beaten, pummeled and and bound in the temple, a Roman commander stepped in and saved him from the mob, saved his life, dragged him to safety. Do you know that when the 40 uh, Jewish men had taken this vow to kill him that Paul's nephew of all people heard of the plot, warned Paul. Paul shared that with the commander and then the commander protected him, sent him by cover of night under the the guardianship of Roman guards uh, to a different place to save his life. And then finally, we know that Paul was uh, eventually delivered um, by appealing to Caesar at Rome. And then he was taken to Rome long distance away from his accusers, right? And so God did answer this prayer request. He just didn't answer it probably the way Paul was intending when he asked the Romans to pray for him here. Probably the mindset was here, I'd be delivered from them like they won't give me any problems. Well, there's still problems to be had, but God did technically deliver him. And so we see that um, from the text. By the way, would, if God gave us the pen, the veto pen in our life on trials, do you think any of us would allow a trial to go through or would we veto most of them? You know, oh God, I see today you're planning, um, I've got a meeting in in Atlanta. You're planning on me getting a a flat tire on the way there. Yeah, Lord, I'm busy today. I'm not going to go for that today. Veto, right? God, you know, the summer just started. My air conditioning, you want my air conditioning to go out? Yeah, Lord, I, I really haven't had a chance to build up my savings account. I you know, I, this is really bad. I got family coming into town. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veto that. You know, come, come hit me up like two weeks. We'll talk about the AC thing. I might be able to be ready for it. We wouldn't sign off on any trial. Tell me, we, tell me we would sign off on any trial. That is crazy. We wouldn't sign off on anything. And so hence, God has to use trials in our life. He does things differently because he cares more about you than, believe it or not, you care about yourself. We would shortchange our spiritual growth every chance we got. But you know what? As, as an old commentator said, the faithful hound of heaven won't allow it. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He doesn't want to keep you where you're at. And so he's giving us opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to learn this very lesson. That you know what? We want God's will more than we want our stuff, our own way. And we've got to learn that lesson because that's the secret to just contentment in in life. True contentment in life is saying, you know what? I'm going to just trust that what God's doing is good because he's good. I'm going to trust that what God's doing is loving because he's loving. I, I, I can't make sense of everything, but you know what? I'm convinced of the character of God and his motives, and I'm not going to question it. And I'm just going to remain under where he's got me. That's the first prayer request that I may be delivered. And we see kind of how you could go either way. Did that, was that prayer answered? I believe it was just differently than what the apostle Paul probably intended. Second prayer request. 
says that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And again, what is he talking about here? He's talking about this delivering of the financial gift. That's an interesting prayer request. I mean, typically when I've tried to give people money, they kind of like that. Like, why wouldn't that be acceptable? You know, it's kind of, kind of an odd prayer request. But remember, you know, take into, into context, uh, context here. It might have been just a natural um, inclination, even on the part of Jewish Christians, to receive financial aid from Gentiles. There was still that, that racial divide, even in the early church. You kind of see that. I don't know if I want to take Gentile money. And I know we're poor. I know we need it, but I don't know. So, so there might have been some of that. We don't know. We don't know. But obviously, it's a prayer request. It's a concern that Paul had. Are they going to receive this or not? So he, he says he wants that to be acceptable. Now, whether or not that it was, we don't really have solid documentation. But based on their response in Acts 21, 17, they received him. The, the text tells us with joy, with gladness. Um, they probably received that gift well. So I believe that prayer request was answered. And we jump to verse 32. And he says that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. And so here's our next prayer request. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And do you know this prayer request was answered. Paul came to the church at Rome with joy and by the will of God. He just didn't come with his arms and legs free. <laughs> they, were, they were confined, right? He was a prisoner, but he did come in this manner. And, and how do we know that? How do we know that that's exactly how he came? Well, one of the things uh, that we swell to describe how he came, let's just talk about this because uh, you zip through it in Acts and you kind of lose timetables, but he came in chains. He came under arrest. He was due to appear before Caesar he had had a tumultuous trip across the sea where he'd almost lost his life multiple times. He had again bitten by a poisonous snake. He had already served two years in prison in Caesarea. And he's going now to uh, appeal before Caesar or to appear before Caesar's judgment seat. That was probably not in his mindset when he wrote this prayer request. Let's be honest. I think he thought, man, I'm going to you know, step off and just be free in Rome and I'm going to come in fullness of joy. But he comes in fullness of joy just in a much different way. And you know, one of the things that we see um, that I believe God used and put on Paul's appointment book, you know that God has an appointment book for each one of you. It's, it's Ephesians 2.10. It's good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to walk in, right? So he's got an appointment book for you and I, but guess what? Your appointment book and his don't always match up. You found that to be true in your life? And you can see this all throughout the scriptures. What happens in Acts 8? Philip's in Samaria. Philip's having this just incredibly successful ministry. In fact, if he had the type of ministry here in America, you know what the, you know what the person would do? They'd plant a church, build a big building, get all sorts of staff hired, and, and man, let's just ride this wave as long as it goes. God's doing a work here. You know what God does? Something totally opposite from what we would normally think. He takes Philip there. He sends him on the, on the road, uh, this, this desert road. Oh, okay, because he's going to take him to a much more successful and bigger ministry. Nope. Sends him there for one man. One man. An Ethiopian eunuch. He's, he takes him from this profitable ministry with probably hundreds, if not thousands of people getting saved. He takes him away from there. And you know what that tells me? God cares about people. He doesn't care about numbers of people. He cares about people, individual people. And you know, that Ethiopian eunuch that day just happened to be reading Isaiah 53 from the Old Testament. He said, he, Philip comes alongside, you understand what you're reading? He's like, no, man, I don't. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, I can explain it to you. <laughs> That's what I love talking about. Let's, let's talk about who Isaiah 53 is talking about. And Philip began to expound Jesus Christ to him and what Jesus Christ accomplished for him. That Ethiopian eunuch got saved. And guess what? Every saved soul in Africa today probably takes their lineage back to that man. That man. Because God cares about people and he uses people to disciple others. And so God has a much different way of accomplishing his task than what we think. In fact, we said this last week. How would I plant a church in Rome? 
Paul, you know what? Skip over all those little cities and get your tail to Rome. We need a church there. You're the best guy for the job. You can do it. You got a calling to the Gentiles. Let's get you there because without you, we're not gonna be able to plant this church in Rome. You're cultured. You know, the Old Testament scriptures, you're a Roman citizen. You are the guy. Get over there and do it. God doesn't do it that way. God took disciple makers, second, third, fourth, I don't know who. We don't know who founded the church in Rome, but I know it wasn't Paul. I know it wasn't Peter. I know it wasn't John. I know it was an apostle if we trust church history. It was somebody that you will get to meet in heaven someday that you don't might even know. In fact, it might be somebody we read about in chapter 16 when we get into the list of names that everyone typically just wants to skip. Like, oh man, we gotta go through the names. The names are cool. This list is cool. We're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of fun in chapter 16 when we get there. But you know what? I wanna show you something that just blows me away about Paul having an effective ministry while in chains. Go with me to Acts chapter 28. We just want to look at a couple of passages here and we'll move kind of quickly through. Acts chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. First, when this is when he when he gets to Rome, he, he says, We where we found brethren, we were invited to stay with them seven days, and so he went toward Rome. So this is kind of on his way to Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appii Forum in three ends. When Paul Uh, saw them, he thanked God, and he took courage. Now jump down to verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and notice this next phrase, and received all who came to him. Do you see see the the Roman guard that was attached to him on, on, it depends on who you ask, six-hour intervals or four-hour intervals, this praetorian guard, they were allowing anybody that wanted to come to him to come in and talk to him. And notice what he did. He, they received him, and he just complained about his journey and said how bad he had it, right? Is that, is that what Paul focused on? What does verse 31 said? No, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And you know what we see, which is so incredibly amazing, and you've got to see this in Philippians. Go with me to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to propose to you that your God is awesome. Your God is awesome because he does things like we're about to read in Philippians 4. He does things that don't make sense to us. Why is he doing it this way? But when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and we're going to glory in the wisdom and the love and the care of God. Because in Philippians 4, I want you to notice this in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Now I want you to notice that's normal so far. Look what's abnormal, verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. What did he just say? He said that the most powerful man on planet earth at that time, the Roman Caesar, had people in his family that had trusted Jesus Christ. Can you, I mean, can we fathom and put our heads around why we don't want just what we want? We want what God wants. Because does God know how to do things well? Amen. He knows how to do things well. He knows how to do things perfect. He knows how to do things that we could never accomplish on our own. If we'll simply trust him, we'll simply walk by faith and believe that he can do that. And you know what's crazy about that? You know how that happened, I believe? Paul's changed to the the Praetorian Guard, and that was like the secret service of that day. And these guys are just on duty. They think they're guarding any other prisoner. And God began to reach into their hearts and change their their hearts and their minds for the gospel of Jesus Christ and begin to understand the message. And I I could even envision them fighting for an extra shift. No, 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 I'll, I'll take the next six hours too. I want to listen to this guy. He's got something that I need. He's got something that I don't have. And see, these men took that message. They took it back to where they lived. And people in Caesar's family began to get saved. By the way, who was the Caesar? Who was the, the emperor at this time? Nero. What a scumbag, history tells us. But you know what? People and his family got saved. You're going to see them in heaven. This is what's the, the incredible aspect of our God and the way that he does things. See, God's appointment book is the only appointment book we should concern ourselves with. And yet we are so bent out of shape when it doesn't go according to our appointment book. In fact, oftentimes we accuse God of being unloving, uncaring, unmerciful. He just doesn't give a a rip about me. 
Because look what I had planned. We need to shift our thinking. We need to allow even sections like this in the scripture to shift our thinking. Let me go to the last prayer request. That's a shout out to my friend Clay. Coke. They had Pepsi pictures, but I wasn't going to use that. (laughs) Refreshing fellowship. This fourth prayer request that I may be refreshed together with you. Again, this, this idea to be refreshed or to take rest with somebody in their company, by their company, with their company. That, that same prefix soon that we looked at earlier is used here. So Paul believed that he and Roman believers would be like-minded. Remember, they said they're going to mutually benefit each other by their faith back in Romans 1. And so he's asking again um, that this would happen. And you know what? I believe this prayer request was answered as well. We kind of looked at some of those passages in Acts where they had freedom to come to him, benefit from his teaching, etc. And then finally, we got a, a quick close in verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And I love how Paul, he, he ends with this short benediction. But I love how he, he closes it with a tie to the character quality, a character quality of God. You know, he could have said, may God give you peace. And he does say that other places. But I want you to notice what he, what he says here. Now the God of peace, what? Be with you. See how, see how personal he gets there? It's, it's not just may God give you peace, but, but may the God who is, who, who by very nature is peace, may he just be with you in presence, in, in fellowship. And so he focuses on that. And so next week we'll start chapter 16 and, and we're gonna look at the list, but don't, it's not just the list, all right? So we, we're gonna talk about that next week. It's not just the list, but we're gonna start chapter 16. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, it is, it is our heart's desire, Lord, to, to really approach and live life in a way that's just dependent on you, just desirous of your outcome. Lord, we want to we wanna stop trusting ourselves for the, the safest and best way to live life. We want to just trust you, Lord. And we know that part of our spiritual growth includes trials. Nothing that we would pick on our own. It's not that we're to seek out trials, Lord, but we know that you utilize those. And Lord, we just want to respond better in a way that just benefits our relationship with you more consistently. Lord, just thank you for this example in the Apostle Paul's life. We're, we're grateful for the way that you did care for him, uh, the way that you answered these prayer requests in, in your own way, and that you had appointments that he could have never even imagined as a result of this zigzag approach, so to speak, to Rome in terms of, in contrast to what he had planned. So, Lord, thank you. Uh, just be an encouragement to us this week. Uh, may the God of peace, may you, the, the God who is peace, be with each one. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.